You guys can be seated this morning. If you want to turn with me in your copy of Scripture to John chapter 10, we'll begin um, this great chapter in God's Word this morning. So if you were with us the last couple weeks, um, we went through John chapter 9, and we saw in John's Gospel one of the seven signs that John records for us. These great signs that are meant to point us, not to the sign itself, but the sign is meant to point us to a greater and higher reality namely the person and work of Christ. And we saw that last week in the healing of the man that was born blind, that there was a man who was blind from birth. He had never seen light a day in his life. He was totally in darkness. And we made the parallels between that and our state, how we are born totally blind from spiritual realities. And we saw in the passage that Christ came not only to heal this man of his physical blindness and bring true sight to his physical eyes, but Christ came to bring sight to his spiritual eyes. And we saw this back and forth in the chapter between the religious leaders of the day that want to squash and squander this man's faith. But we saw that the true faith of this man that was brought by Christ persevered. It made it to the end, and at the end we see this great confession of the man, I believe that you are the Christ, and we saw that his faith endured, and we saw this in contrast to the blindness of the Pharisees. And Jesus, we talked about that last week, that this blindness of the Pharisees is a contrast to the true spiritual sight of this man, and their blindness is in the fact that they think that they can see when they really cannot. So that was John chapter 9, and we're going to see a continuation of this as we go through John chapter 10, that this is really just a continuation of the discourse. Many of you might know that these chapter divisions are not original to the writer. They were added later, and so sometimes they can be helpful in seeing breaks, but sometimes they can actually hinder us. And so we're going to see today that it's a, it's a really, truly a continuation that Jesus had just rebuked the Pharisees of that day, the religious leaders, the false shepherds, and we're going to see that continue in our passage today. And something that's going to stand out today is not only the, re- the results of this one of the seven signs that Jesus performed, but we're also going to see two of the I am statements of our Lord two of the I am statements of our Lord, that Jesus throughout John's gospel has seven of these I am statements where he says, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the true vine. And we're going to see two of those statements today in our passage where Jesus will say, I am the door of the sheep and I am the good shepherd. And these statements, as we've gone through John's gospel, show us and tell us not only about the person and work of Christ, what he came to do to save sinners, but they're also rooted and grounded in the Old Testament scriptures. And so as we look at our passage today on Jesus as the good shepherd, we're going to see that though there are many false shepherds, though there are many that will be imposters, thieves, and robbers that will come in and try to deceive God's people and lead them astray, Christ has come as the true good shepherd. He is the one that will lay down his life for the sheep. He will gather them together. He will lead them. He will bring them to green pastures. That is what we will see in our passage today. So if you want to turn with me to John chapter 10, I'll read verses 1 through 15. I'll pray for us, and then we'll look at God's word. This is the word of the Lord. Jesus continues. Truly, truly, I say to you, 
He who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all of his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep." Let's pray this morning. Lord, we come before you uh, with heavy hearts this morning, with uh, many things going on in our lives, weighed down maybe this morning by the weight of our own sin, maybe weighed down by the trials of this world that can feel as if they're going to crush us this morning. And so we come before you this morning as your people gathered around your word this morning, And we pray that you would speak through your word, Lord, that you would speak by the power of your spirit to the souls of your people, that you would bring life to them, that your people might hear the voice of the true shepherd this morning, that they would hear his voice, that they would follow him, not the voice of a stranger, not the voice of a false shepherd, but the voice of the true shepherd this morning. We know that this is only possible by the work of your Spirit in the hearts of your people, and so we ask and pray that you would do these things only by your power, not by the might of men, not by the strength of human hands, but by your Spirit would you build us up this morning. We need your help, and then we pray all these things in your Son's name. Amen. Amen. There's a great book. It's the second most published book in history behind the Bible. Many of you might know what this book is. It's called Pilgrim's Progress. Pilgrim's Progress, written by John Bunyan in the 17th century. He was in prison for his faith. He was persecuted because of his faith in Christ. And in prison, he wrote this book called Pilgrim's Progress, which is an allegory. It's a story about a pilgrim who is on a journey. He's on a journey from the city of destruction where he was born, and he is on this journey to reach the celestial city, Mount Zion. And he is weighed down 
with a great burden that he is seeking to be delivered from. If you've read the book, you're familiar with Pilgrim. He's got this great burden upon his back. And so he's seeking deliverance from this burden by going through first the wicked gate, the wicked or narrow gate. And along his journey, he meets many people. He has many encounters. It's a great, it's a great story if you have not read The Pilgrim's Progress. But these two people he meets along the way, they're well-dressed men, Two of them are named formalist and hypocrisy. Formalist and hypocrisy. And on his journey, he sees these men that have not come through the narrow gate, but have climbed in over the wall to try to shortcut the, the long path. They've climbed in over the, lo- the walls along the way, and they've shown themselves to be thieves and robbers. And they thought that they could take this shortcut to the celestial city. They thought they could jump over the wall and not have to go through the wicked gate. And they're walking with Pilgrim through a while, and there's a great back and forth. But they come soon to this hill of difficulty that is straight up. And there's three paths. There's one to each side, and there's one that goes up the hill directly. And as they go, Pilgrim knows the right way to go. He knows he must go up the hill of difficulty, but formalist and hypocrisy take the easy route. Again, they show that they are not true pilgrims. They take the easy route. They take the path of destruction. They're lost in the woods, and they perish. But Christian knows to get to Mount Zion, he must go through not only the narrow gate, but up the hill of difficulty. And there's this great little poem that he says. It's a famous poem. I'll just read it for you so you're familiar with it. He says this, this hill though high, I covet to ascend. The difficulty will not me offend, for I perceive the way to life lies here. Come, pluck up heart, let's neither faint nor fear. Better though difficult, the right way to go, than wrong though easy, where the end is woe. And so we see that Pilgrim chooses the narrow gate, the narrow door, the narrow way that leads to life rather than the easy way that leads to destruction. And so we see in our passage here, we can see how John Bunyan was really pulling on this passage. He was reading John 10 as he was writing these words. And we see many parallels here that the only way to enter is through this narrow way, through Christ and that there's this great contrast between true shepherds, true followers, and those that are false in their faith, false shepherds and false leaders. And so if you want to follow along with me on your outline, we'll look at three things this morning. In verses 1 through 6, we'll see the difference, the contrast between true shepherds and false shepherds in the words of our Lord. Then in verses 7 through 10, we'll see the door of the sheepfold, the door of the sheep, And then finally, we'll look at Christ, the Good Shepherd, in verses 11 through 14. Verses 11 through 14. So first, we see the difference between true shepherds and false shepherds. So we see Jesus set up this figure of speech, this metaphor, this allegory, and he uses this to contrast true shepherds of God's people from false shepherds. True shepherds from false shepherds. He uses this metaphor, this imagery, this language of a sheep, of shepherds, and of a sheepfold. Now, while there's not a lot of shepherding in Decatur, Illinois, this would have been a very familiar language, very familiar imagery for people of that day, and it was actually rooted in the Old Testament as we saw. 
that shepherds were those that cared for their own sheep. They knew them by name. They led them to pastures to feed. They gathered them into what we call a sheepfold or a, or a sheep pen, right? It was this, usually in the ancient day, it was made out of stone. It had these knee-high walls that would keep the sheep in. It would protect the sheep. It would gather them together, protecting them. But it not only kept the sheep in, it kept wolves and goats from getting in. It, it guarded them. It preserved the sheep. And so Jesus is picking up on this language, this imagery, to show and contrast the marks of a true shepherd from that of a false shepherd. And we read in verse 1, if you look there with me, we see that a false shepherd is contrasted from a true shepherd. How? The false shepherd does not enter by the door, but sneaks in another way. Jesus calls this man a thief and a robber. That just as in our homes, you know, um, a thief doesn't knock on your front door and say, give me all that you have. They sneak in the back way. They come in the back door. They break in in the middle of the night. And so just as a thief does not come in the front door, but breaks in, so a false shepherd does not legitimately come through the front gate, but climbs in over the wall as an imposter, as one that's in trying to impersonate a true shepherd, just as formalist and hypocrisy in Pilgrim's Progress could not be bothered with the long and hard road to the narrow gate, so false shepherds enter by climbing in by these illegitimate means. And we see this is a reference by our Lord not only to all false shepherds in general, but to the false shepherds of that day that these Pharisees had led the people astray. He is confronting their false shepherding. He calls them imposters and thieves. Those who had just cast out the man that was born blind, they had cast him out of the synagogue, out of the temple. Jesus sees their false, poor shepherding. And he confronts them and shows them that they are not true shepherds, but they are robbers, thieves, and imposters that they had not been appointed by God, nor had they entered the door of Christ, and therefore they are false shepherds. But as we read this morning, Jesus is not simply stating these things in a vacuum, but He is drawing on language from the Old Testament, from Ezekiel 34. You remember this morning we read about the sheep and the shepherd, that in the Old Testament, it was God Himself who was pictured as the shepherd of his people, the sheep of his pasture. He watched over them. He cared for his sheep. We read about this in Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That it is God himself who is pictured as the shepherd of his people. And in his wisdom in the Old Testament, he appointed what we call under-shepherds, prophets and priests that were to lead God's people. They were to do the same. They were to shepherd God's people. But we saw this morning that in their wickedness, they only cared for themselves. They did not care for the sheep of God's people. We read about this in Jeremiah 23, verses 1 through 2. God pronounces woes on the false shepherds of Israel. He says, woe to you who scatter and destroy the sheep of God's people. He pronounces woes on them. We read in Ezekiel 34, we see that the shepherds are not feeding the people. They are not being good shepherds. They are feeding themselves. They are slaughtering the sheep in order to feed their own belly. 
This is the marks of a false shepherd. They're not strengthening the weak. They're not helping the sick. They're not binding up the injured. They're not seeking out the lost. They're concerned about themselves. And this is exactly what the Pharisees of that day were doing. They were false shepherds who were more concerned about feeding themselves than the sheep of God's people. And many of us know this is no less true in our day, right? This is no less true in our day. There are many who call themselves true shepherds who are in fact false shepherds. Those that seek to get fat off of the, the, the slaughtering of God's people. False teachers and pastors that feed themselves instead of the sheep. They are more concerned with fame and money, with numbers and riches than caring for God's people. They're more, they're more concerned with having a name for themselves than caring for the sheep of God's people. And most times, they are not appointed by God or called by Him, but they are appointed by themselves. They say, I'm going to be a true shepherd. I'm going to be this. I'm going to be that. And just like formalist and hypocrisy, they've climbed in through the, the wall. They have not, they've climbed in another way. They have not come through the true door. And so they prove themselves to be false shepherds. But we see in verse 2 here that Jesus contrasts this with true shepherds. With true shepherds. He says, true shepherds enter by the door. True shepherds enter by the door. They have been appointed and approved, commissioned and sent by God Himself. Not sneaking in the back door, but they are the ones for whom the gatekeeper opens the door. This is to symbolize the divine approval of those true shepherds. That true shepherds care for the sheep. They call them by name. They know their sheep and are known by them. They lead them to the green pastures to feed. And these are the marks of a true shepherd. And so as we see, there's great contrast that Jesus is trying to draw in these first six verses. He's saying, this is what false shepherds look like. And this is what true shepherds look like. But we see in verse 6, the people don't understand what Jesus is trying to say. They don't understand the words that he is saying. And so Jesus is going to make an argument from the lesser to the greater. He's going to take these general marks of true and false shepherds, and he's going to use them to point to himself, his person and his work as the only way by which people might be saved, the only means by which his sheep might be gathered, protected, and cared for. And that leads us to our second point this morning, the door of the sheepfold. The door of the sheepfold. That we see in verse 7, Jesus removes all doubt. He doesn't leave anything to chance or interpretation. He removes all doubt, and he stands up and says, I am the door of the sheep. I am the door of the sheep. I am the gate of the sheepfold. He states plainly that there is only one way. There's only one means by which man might have access to God. That Christ is the one that all must enter through and enter by. I am the door of the sheep. Not only to be considered true under-shepherds, 
but to be true sheep members of the household of God. That Jesus is in, in just different language saying, I am the narrow gate. I am the narrow way that everyone must enter in order to obtain eternal life. As he'll say in John later, I am the way, the truth, and the life. That if anyone enters by him, by faith, what's he say in verse 9? They will be saved. They will be saved. They will have eternal life that Jesus is standing up and proclaiming himself to be the only way. It is only by means of his righteousness, his atoning blood, that sinful man can be justified and cleansed before God. Jesus is saying, I'm the one mediator between God and man. I am the door of the sheep. I am very God and very man, the true, the two-natured redeemer, the door of the sheep, the people of God. That's me. That's who I am. That's who I am. And that's what I've come to do. I am the door of the sheep. That just as the people of Israel in the Old Testament were pictured and typified as God's sheep, so all of God's elect, both Old and New Testament, are called God's sheep. The people of his pasture, church of the living God, bought by his blood. That Jesus is bringing up this language of sheep to talk about those that are truly his. That the true sheep are those that have been called and saved by Christ. Gathered and brought into the sheepfold by Christ himself. Provided for and protected by Christ. It is through him that they go out and find pasture the green pastures of His Word, the still waters of rest for for their soul. They are fed by the Word of God, the milk of sound doctrine. They are united to Christ and all His benefits. They have all that they need. These are the true sheep that enter through the door that is Christ. But we see another interesting point here, another thing to bring up, that true sheep, something that sets them apart is that they do not follow these false sheep shepherds. They do not follow these false shepherds. They they do not listen to their voice, nor do they follow the stranger, but they flee. True sheep hear the voice of a stranger and they say, that is not the voice of the true shepherd. And so they flee. That true sheep hear the voice of the true shepherd. True sheep hear the voice of the true shepherd. Now this doesn't mean for a time that True sheep might not be deceived for a moment, that they might follow someone who they think is a true shepherd, but it turns out to be a false shepherd or teacher, that they might be tricked for a season by a stranger, but we'll see that true sheep will not be deceived forever. They hear the voice of the shepherd, and they do not follow the voice of a stranger, that they have the spirit of truth. What does Jesus say later in John's gospel? I will send the spirit of truth, that they have the spirit of truth leading them into all truth, so that they are able to discern truth from error, true shepherd from false shepherd. This is the promise of what God has done in Christ. And we see in verse 8, Jesus says that all who came before him were thieves and robbers. All who came before him were thieves and robbers. Now, he doesn't mean every single person was a false teacher, right? He's not saying John the Baptist, he came before me, but he was a false teacher. No, he's not saying that. But What he's saying is that those prophets, namely in the Old Testament, who were supposed to, who who spoke for God, even though they had never been sent, there were prophets that would say, peace, peace, when there was no peace. 
They, they said they spoke for God, but God had never commissioned them. He had never sent them. He's saying those people were thieves and robbers. That the false shepherds in Ezekiel's day that fed themselves, the Pharisees of John chapter 9, they are those who destroy the flock, who scatter the sheep, and ultimately feed themselves. These are the false shepherds that Jesus is pointing out. They fed themselves off the fat of the sheep. What's he say in, in verse 10? They come to steal, kill, and destroy. Their goal is to not bind up the sheep's injuries, to lead them to green pastures. Their goal is to steal, kill, and destroy. They want nothing to do with truly caring for the sheep. They want nothing to do with the dirty flock who are broken and weary and wandering. These false shepherds are proud. They are self-seeking. They are thieves. They're deceptive, and they are bringers of death. These are the false shepherds of Israel and the false shepherds of our day. But we see in verse 11, we see that there is one who does not offer up the sheep to preserve his own life, but rather there is one who will lay down his own life for the sake of the sheep. And so we come to our third point this morning, Christ the Good Shepherd. That Jesus, in verse 11, proclaims, I am the good shepherd. I am the true shepherd of God's people. I am not like the false shepherd, the hired hands, that when they see a wolf coming, they run for cover. They, they run when any sign of danger comes. I'm not like those. I'm not like those who care nothing for the sheep, but watch as the sheep are scattered. I am the good shepherd. I am the one that was promised in Ezekiel 34. The one that would come and gather together God's people. And not only that, he's the one of Psalm 24 and Psalm 118, that the one for whom the gates of righteousness open, the gatekeeper opens for Christ alone. And it is only through him that the righteous that are declared righteous enter through. He is the one who will not only seek out the lost and scattered sheep, binding up the injured and strengthening the weak, but he is the one who will ultimately lay down his own life for the sake of the sheep, the true Passover lamb who is also the good shepherd, the one who will offer up himself so that his people might be preserved who when a wolf comes, doesn't run away and hide while the sheep are slaughtered, but the one who stands before the wolf and lays down his own life so that the sheep might have life. And we read about it in our confession of faith this morning that Jesus not only laid down his life, but he experienced the punishment that we deserved on the cross, the painful sufferings in both body and soul so that we might have life, and what's he say in verse 10? And might have it abundantly. Not just life, but life abundantly. And this is hearkening back in many ways to what we've talked about that was promised to Adam in the Garden of Eden, that the eternal abundant life that was promised to Adam in the garden but lost by the fall into sin has been purchased by Christ, the good shepherd. He is the one who laid down his life for his own. 
He was the sacrificial lamb, the only door of the sheepfold that all that enter might hit, through him might be saved. They might know his voice and be known by him, that he might lead them to the green pastures of his word and the still waters of Sabbath rest for their souls. He is the one that gathers his people together into one flock and preserves them to the end. This is the good shepherd, Christ our Lord. And so as we come to the end of this passage, as we start to contemplate what does this mean, how does this apply to our lives, we see in this passage not only the glory of Christ's person and His work, that He came as the door of the sheep, the good shepherd, the one that came to suffer and die for the sins of His people so that they might have life, but we also see in this passage a picture of Christ and His church, a picture of Christ and His church. That where the false shepherds of Israel failed and the false teachers of our day deceive and try to lead God's people astray, Christ has come as the true shepherd. (laughs) He is the one that leads His people. He is the only way sheep may enter the sheepfold, which is what we say, the church of the living God, those that have been bought by His blood. That is the sheepfold of God, is the church of God, the people of God, bought by His blood. And it is there, and only there, that the people of God, the sheep of God, are sustained by Christ, they're nourished by Christ, and they're shepherded by Christ through his under shepherds. This is what Ephesians 4 tells us. That God, through Christ, when he ascended into heaven, he poured out gifts. And one of those gifts was shepherds and pastors and elders. People that are to lead God's people to the green pastures of his word. That we are not to be lone sheep that try to fend for ourselves. We're going to get devoured. We're not to be lone sheep that wander about in the darkness by ourselves, but we are to be those that come into the sheepfold. And nor are we to be deceived sheep that follow a false shepherd who has climbed in through the back door and appoints himself. We are to follow the true shepherd and those true under-shepherds that God has appointed, that have been called by Christ, that have been commissioned by His church Those are the true under-shepherds. And what I love about this passage, and as I've been thinking and really reflecting on it this week, this is such a comforting passage for us as God's people. That He is the good shepherd. That we don't have to look to a human celebrity, a human person that's going to be able to lead us. We are looking to Christ, the true good shepherd. And this is a good news for me because as your pastor, I'm going to fail. (laughs) I'm not always going to be perfect. I'm not going to be Christ. I'm not Christ. But He is the Good Shepherd. And my role as your pastor is not to point to myself, but it's to point to Christ, who is the Good Shepherd. He will not let His people down. He will never fail. And so what true shepherds are to do are to care for the people of God, True shepherds are to protect God's people from wolves, from the wolves of sin and false doctrine. They're to stand up and say, 
No, you cannot enter. I saw one commentary, I think it was Augustine, who said, he said, when true shepherds see wolves coming, they're to say, you cannot enter, and the only way you're going to enter is over my dead body, <laughs> which is pretty strong language, <laughs> and we don't take that literally, but, but that is what true shepherds are to do. They're to protect the sheep. They're to protect them from sin and false doctrine. They're to bind up the wounds of those that have been broken and heavy laden. They are to lead them to the green pastures of the means of grace. <laughs> they are to point the sheep not to themselves, but to Christ, who is the only true good shepherd who has laid down his life for them and is worthy of all of their worship and praise. And as we come to the end of the Scriptures, in Revelation we see this picture of the end where all of these ideas are converging and coming together. And I'll end with this from Revelation chapter 7. We see this picture of those that have been made clean by the blood of the Lamb. They've had their robes washed in the blood of the Lamb so that their robes might be cleansed and purified. And John sees this great picture of the end. He sees those that have been made white in the blood of the Lamb. And then notice how these ideas of the Lamb and the shepherd come together. In verse 15, he says this, Therefore, those people are before the throne of God and serve Him day and night in His temple. And He who sits on the throne will shelter them with His presence. They shall neither hunger no more, neither shall they thirst. The sun shall not strike them, nor the scorching heat. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. The Lamb in the midst of the throne he will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. This is the hope we have in Christ. He is the good shepherd. He laid down his life for us. He gathers us. He protects us. He preserves his people, and he will lead us to that last day where he will guide us to springs of living water. He will wipe away every tear from our eyes, that's the hope we have this morning. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for Christ. We thank you for sending your Son in the fullness of time who came that we might have a true good shepherd who will not be like the false shepherds of the world that care only for themselves, but who will lay down his life, who did lay down his life so that his people, the sheep of his pasture, might be preserved. And though we might be led through the valley of the shadow of death, we might feel the weight of our sin this morning, we might feel the trials and tribulations overwhelming us as if we are going through death itself, we come now to worship the true Good Shepherd who will lead us to green pastures, who will cause us to lay down by still waters, and He will restore our soul. That is the hope we have this morning in Christ, that you have anointed your people with the oil of your spirit. You will guide us and will lead us to the final day. We have no other hope this morning. So as we come before you and we come to the Lord's table, may we worship you, may we rest in Christ and his sacrifice, looking to him alone, the good shepherd, who will lead us the only door of the sheep so that we might have life and have it abundant. We pray all these things in your Son's name. Amen.